You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over kings. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Hello, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. This is House of Cards. We have we have an unbelievable show today. I don't know if anyone's ever felt that our shows may lag or we have boring guests sometimes, but not today, boy. We have two great guests. The first is we have a, a real celebrity in the poker writing world, in the world of writing in general. He's a very, very successful author, Ben Mesrick. He's written books I'm sure you've heard of, which is The Accidental Billionaires. He's also written uh, the book that was turned into 21, Bringing Down the House. And now he's written a book, Straight Flush, which is about absolute poker, the rise and fall of the people who built absolute poker. And then is an intense, philosophical, brilliant Phil Lack talking about poker in general, poker theory, and the movie that he did, Runner, Runner. Both guests, fantastic interviews. Please stay tuned. You will enjoy this show. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. Are you still shopping the old-fashioned way? Well, then buzz on over to Beezit.com. Beezit is your number one online auction source for brand-name new items from companies like Apple, Sony, Canon, Dyson, Samsung, and more at discounts of 75 85 and 99% off retail. Go to Beezit.com and use the offer code VIP and get three bids for the price of one. That's offer code VIP to get three bids for the price of one. Go to Beezit.com. B-E-E-Z-I-D.com. Beezit.com. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration. Plus, a free extra gift so sensual, 
We can't mention it on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type BABE16 for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code BABE16 at adamandeve.com. Need to sell your house fast? We're Homevestors, the We Buy Ugly Houses people. You've seen our big yellow billboards with our caveman Ugg, but did you know that Homevestors is America's number one home buyer? At Homevestors, we can buy your house as is, pay you cash, and usually pay most of the closing costs, and we close fast. Call today for your no obligation consultation and get out of that ugly real estate situation. If your house needs repairs, you're ready to downsize. Tired of renters and those rental property repairs, retiring, experiencing a job transfer, inherited a property, or just need to sell your house fast. Do what thousands of satisfied Homevestor customers have done. Call Homevestors today for a no-obligation consultation at 866-I-WANT-UG. 866-I-WANT-UG. We'll close fast and pay cash. So what are you waiting for? Call Homevestors today. 866-I-WANT-UG. 866-I-WANT-UG. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at houseofcardsradio.com. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. Now, I do some other stuff, but poker, that's the thing I do best. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And just as promised, we are really fortunate to have perhaps the best known, certainly one of the most successful writers in the field of gambling writing, if there is such a field. We have Ben Mesrick, who's written Bringing Down the House, turned into the movie 21, uh, the bestseller Accidental Billionaire, and now has come out with a new book, a great book. I've read it. It's called Straight Flush. And it's the tale of the the college kids who built the absolute poker empire and then ended up either in jail or exiled or in bad circumstance. So I'm not going to talk more about the book. I'm going to let Ben do that. And uh, welcome to the show, Ben. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Well, we're very lucky to have you. I've read your stuff. I've often wanted to talk to you. Could you start our listeners off just by giving them an overview of what this book covers? Okay, Straight Flush is... Uh... The story of uh, the guys who founded Absolute Poker, it's a group of frat brothers from the University of Montana um, who used to play poker in the basement of a local bar and decided to try and put it online. Um, And this was uh, back when there was only really one or two poker sites online um, back in around 2000, 2003. Um, And so they ended up moving their fraternity to Costa Rica, and they built Absolute Poker into a a million-dollar-a-day revenue business. Um, And then uh, it crashed down. Uh, They ended up... You know, either fugitives or in jail or uh, on the run um, when uh, online poker essentially became illegal. And uh, it's it's a crazy story. I mean, it's basically the rise and fall of these guys. And they are interesting guys. They're, what, what struck me was that they're regular sort of guys. In fact, high-achieving uh, regular sort of guys, not 
weirdos, not uh, eccentric. I mean, they all have their eccentricities. You got to know them, right? I mean, part of this was you doing the research of actually talking to them extensively, right? Yeah, I mean, I got to know them pretty well. And these were not the sort of geeky guys that I wrote about, say, in Bringing Down the House or, you know, the social network. These were jocks, you know. These were fraternity brothers uh, at University of Montana. They were kind of cowboys. One of them was so poor he sold a cow to buy his first car. Um, They all came from, you know, different backgrounds. But uh, they weren't, you know... Odd, they were the regular frat guys who decided to try and put poker online, um, and they had to raise the money. They didn't really come from a lot of money, um, and they and they ended up in Costa Rica, and that's where things get really crazy because it's a very wild west kind of scene there. Um, there's really no laws, and so there were a lot of you know sex and drugs and all of that things that you think college kids would get into um, when that kind of money is pouring in. So it's a, it's a it's a pretty wild story. So you talked to them both, you know, during some of this and then even as it was unfolding, what's what's their take on what happened to them? I'm especially interested in your impression of Brent Beckley, who is the one guy that I think is either still in jail or maybe he's released or soon to be released. What's his take on all this? Is it a cautionary tale? Does he feel the government was totally uh, overzealous? Does he understand it? What's his take? Well, I mean, definitely these guys all think that the government uh, was hypocritical and ridiculous and that they shouldn't be facing jail time. Uh, Brent is doing 14 months in federal prison. Um, you know, he was the younger half-brother. He uh, kind of joined the company a little bit later, and he uh, he was the naive kid of the group. Um, but his name was on everything. And when the banking laws were put into effect, which made the movement of money into this company illegal, he kind of took the fall for it, and he turned himself in. Um, these are complex guys. You know, there's no saints in this story. Nobody in this story is someone who didn't do anything wrong. Um, but I think that Brent definitely did not expect to go to jail, and he certainly thought that what the government did was pretty unfair. Um, from my point of view, you know, we were all lining up for Powerball tickets a few weeks ago, and that's fine, but for some reason online poker isn't fine. Um, and so that, to me, seems very much the height of hypocrisy. Um, it's a complex story, though, because a guy like Scott Tom, who created the company and ran the company, um, he's also a very uh, hated individual in the poker community um, because of a cheating scandal, because of other things that went on at Absolute Poker. Um, So nobody really feels bad for him, but he's trapped on the island of Antigua now. Um, He's essentially a fugitive and can't return. So uh, there's a lot of twists and turns to the story. I'm curious to know your summation of what exactly these guys did that was so wrong that they were prosecuted? What was the offense, according to the DOJ, the Department of Justice? Okay, well, up until 2006, um, there was no specific law uh, that they were, you know, flouting. So before 2006, they weren't really doing anything wrong. But beginning in 2006, uh, something called the UIGEA was passed, which was the uh, Unlawful Internet Gambling um, Enforcement Act, Enforcement Act, right? Um, which was passed on on a port terrorism bill. It was a, amended to a port terrorism bill, so it kind of snuck through. Um, once that passed, it became less gray area. If you had customers who were American and you were running an online poker company, the movement of money into your company could be considered illegal. Um, so they stayed in business after 2006. A lot of other companies closed up their American business. Party Poker was the biggest. They left the American market. But the guys at AP decided to stay. And so from that point on, they were, you know, taking large risks. Um, they passed rules that no one in their company was allowed to come to the U.S. Um, they tried their best to distance themselves. 
um, by you know uh, creating a, a sort of a um, a farther back company by by creating a shell company, things like that. But the reality was, from 2006 on, um, the government was making a case against them, and so that's where things kind of went wrong. All right, listeners, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back soon. The key to winning poker is knowledge, and winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by World Series of Poker veteran Ashley Adams, can give you that knowledge. Cash games, small tournaments, whether you're a seasoned player, a novice, or just find yourself losing more often than you win, winning No Limit Hold'em can show every type of player how to consistently win at the game of No Limit Hold'em. You know it's been said that winning isn't everything, but it sure feels a whole lot better than losing. Get winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by Ashley Adams, and start winning today. Now available at Amazon.com and wherever great books are sold. You're listening to the House of Cards with Ashley Adams. It is with great honor that I present to your host, the man who sold the dragon his fire, stole it back, and sold it again for the creeps. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. Uh, listeners, we're talking to Ben Mesrick. He's written a book, Straight Flush, which is about absolute poker, the rise and fall of the people who built. And, and they knew it, right? I mean, they knew that they were in danger of being prosecuted if they were in the United States, didn't they? Well, when you talk to them about it, it's interesting. I mean, they felt that the law was unfair. They felt that nobody was going to go to jail over this. They really believed that at some point the worst that would happen is someone would have to pay a fine. Um, they, they didn't think it was a fair law, and to some extent it was still a confusing law because what the law really did, it didn't make playing online poker illegal. It didn't make owning an online poker company illegal. It made the movement of money involved in, what, in an illegal gambling company illegal, but it didn't define what an illegal gambling company was. So it, it was still very confusing, um, but I do think Brent knew that, by putting his name on everything, he was risking jail. And I do think that Scott also knew that things were no longer the way they were before 2006. So nobody knew for sure what was going to happen, but I think they did have some idea that they were taking risks. Uh, listeners, we're talking to Ben Mesrick, who is the best-selling author of a number of books, but most recently Straight Flush, which is the story of the founders, the rise and fall, you might say, of the founders of Absolute Poker. Uh, about Absolute Poker, what I found... I don't know if it's ironic, but I think it's telling. Nobody prosecuted Absolute Poker when they were involved in the uh, absolutely outrageous incident involving Russ Hamilton and others where uh, those who were on the inside and knew the operators of Absolute Poker could get the, the code sharing, where they could read the cards of their opponents. That was, you know, that kind of went by the board. People were pissed, but nobody went after them until... They decided to prosecute them over the UIGEA. Is that right, or am I missing yeah, a step? Right. I mean, they, you know, they definitely there was a two cheating scandals. One at AP itself, uh, there was a cheating scandal where people were being cheated in that way. Uh, other people, insiders, could see whole cards, could see people's cards, and so there was, you know, a very horrible cheating scandal. And then Ultimate Bet, which Absolute Poker ended up buying, also had a cheating scandal that dated back many years, 
um, where about $20 million was stolen from players. Um, nobody was ever prosecuted for those cheating scandals. It was a completely unregulated business. You know, this is like a Prohibition-era company, um, so nobody was overseeing these companies. When it was discovered that cheating was going on, um, and it was discovered by players, um, bloggers essentially on a site called 2 Plus 2, um, no one went to jail, no one got in trouble. Um, one person was supposedly let go from Absolute Poker, but there wasn't really anything that could be done about it. Um, so the government didn't go after them because of that. That had nothing to do with the cheating scandal at all. The government only went after them because of, you know, the Internet gambling law and went after them as an illegal gambling operation. But nobody ever paid the price for the cheating scandal, and a lot of poker players are very upset about that. Um, a lot of them pin the blame on Scott Tom himself, the founder of AP, uh, because there was sort of a... a um, a trail of evidence that seemed to lead to him, but he maintained his innocence. But no one was ever uh, convicted of anything about that. Well, let me ask you this. There was a, there were a number of companies and dozens of individuals, if not hundreds, connected with Internet poker after the UIGEA was passed. Um, and yet, it, Brent, is, is he the only person in jail right now, or are there other people that were prosecuted? And if not, how come nobody else was prosecuted in this way? I know people were rounded up. But how come right. nobody else was prosecuted in this way? They essentially picked two people from each company, um, and, and from AP they picked Scott, Tom, and Brent to name in the indictment. And then they picked a few other people who were involved in the banking processing. Um, someone from Poker Stars, you know, is in trouble. Um, Brent's the only person who's gone to jail so far. He turned himself in. Um, everyone else is fighting it or on the run. Um, so uh, Scott is the one who's really sitting there facing a large indictment, and he's sitting in Antigua, refuses to give himself up. Uh, he thinks it's an unfair law. He doesn't want to come and end up in prison. So he's going to stay there as long as Antigua will let him stay there. Antigua feels that it's an unfair law, and they fought very hard um, in the WTO to show that online poker should be legal. Um, so Scott's not giving himself up. Um, yeah, there were a lot of people that could have been prosecuted. Uh, they went after money. You know, the government was going after money. Um, they went after poker stars. Full tilt and absolute poker. Poker stars ended up paying a, a, a penalty of about $750 million. Um, and that was a huge cash grab, essentially. They wanted AP to pay some large amount of money, but AP didn't have any money um, because the whole thing ended up falling apart when they got uh, closed down. So I think they went after the guys they felt they could get the most money from. Does Brent kind of regret his decision to turn himself in, or is he feeling stoic and I did the right thing and I'll be out soon enough and then it will be behind me, or something else? Well, you know, I last talked to him right after his sentencing, and at that moment he definitely regretted it because the prosecutor had told him he wasn't going to do any jail time. Um, everyone had told him he was turning himself in and would probably not get anything more than probation, and then the judge decided to make an example of him and threw the book at him. So right after he was sentenced, he certainly was very upset about the situation. But as he gets closer to the end of his sentence, I think he'll probably be happy. He really just wanted to put it all behind him. He wanted to restart his life. You know, he has a wife, he has two young children, and he wants to go on with his life. He wanted to move them to America, um, and this was the only way to do that. He didn't want to be a fugitive. Um, right. Scott, I on the other hand, you know, seeing that his brother went to jail, now doesn't want to turn himself in because he doesn't want to go to jail. So it's a tricky thing. I think Brent had a very philosophical comment when uh, at the sentencing he said, look, it's not cancer. We'll get through this. And uh, I, he will yeah. get through it. And uh, then he won't have to be uh, scurrying around the world to avoid prosecution. But it strikes me as absolutely outrageous that this happened this tale if nothing else it should make people incensed at the uigea 
Uh, it's an amusing story. What's your sense, uh, Ben? And I know that you're not a, necessarily a prognosticator, but what's your sense of what's going to be happening with online poker in light of the recent developments in New Jersey, in Nevada, in some other states that are cooking with the intra-state Internet gambling. Do you have a sense of when we might have legalized full-blown Internet poker again? You know, if I were to guess, I would say within five to ten years, we'll definitely have online poker everywhere. I think in the next two years, it'll be in about ten states. Um, I really think it's moving quickly. It's this huge industry, and, and you know, once the states realize how much money they're going to get in taxes, um, they're going to want it. Every state wants a casino now. Every state wants a lottery. Um, so online poker is just a whole other revenue stream. I mean, this is a $15 billion industry or more um, that's just waiting. Um, so I think slowly, you know, it's in Nevada, it's in New Jersey, it's, it's going to be in Delaware, and I think pretty soon it'll be everywhere. Um, well, I hope you're right. Yeah. I hope you're right. I, I got another question for you as the incredibly successful author, and we have a couple, three minutes, if you don't mind talking about this. Sure. How did you pick this topic and what are you looking at next? You're probably already working on your next project. How do you go about deciding what you're going to do? Well, I get pitched everything. You know, ever since the social network and 21, every college kid who does something crazy will send me an email. Um, so I was pitched by two of the founders of AP um, separately. They didn't know the other one was also pitching me. And that was, intrigued me about it. I had played a little online poker. I was into cards. Uh, so I thought, you know, this is a cool story I hadn't heard before. And I went inside of it. Um, you know, that's how I choose. I choose if it just turns me on. Right now, I am working on another big nonfiction story, which is still a secret. I also just sold a thriller, The 20th Century Fox, which is going to be like a Da Vinci Code meets uh, Indiana Jones, and Brett Ratner, the director, is uh, producing it, and hopefully it will direct it. So I'm working on that as well. But, um, yeah, it's just I just wait. You know, I sit at home, and I wait for people to email me, and that's essentially how this happened. I got this great story for you about a guy who does a talk show on poker, and uh, he talks to all these – no, I'm just kidding. But I'll tell you, Ben, this was a wonderful book. I hope it becomes a bestseller like your last one. It's called Straight Flush. And, uh, hey, it could be a great movie. It could be a great sitcom. And uh, we could all say we knew you when. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Ben. Glad to have you on. We hope you can get you again when you have your next project coming out. Absolutely. We'd love to. Listeners, that was Ben Mesrick, the author of, among other things, Straight Flush, which is the story of the rise and fall of the guys that made absolute poker. Uh, stick around. We'll be back after a quick break. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Are you still shopping the old-fashioned way? Well, then buzz on over to BZ.com. BZ is your number one online auction source for brand-name new items from companies like Apple, Sony, Canon, Dyson, Samsung, and more at discounts of 75 85 and 99% off retail. Go to BZ.com and use the offer code VIP and get three bids for the price of one. That's offer code VIP to get three bids for the price of one. Go to BZ.com, B-E-E-Z-I-D.com, BZ.com. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. I just wanted to uh, mention something, that if any of you have any poker questions that you would like to ask, we are always interested 
in your questions and comments about the show, about the guests, strategy questions. They could be practical questions about where and how to find the game. Send your questions to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash HOC radio. We're very interested in them. And, of course, if they're particularly interesting, we'll put them on the air and answer them here in our segment of Mailbag. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC radio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com com slash HOC radio. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyons, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. Hey, this is Dave Weishadol from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of June 2nd, 2014. The U.S. Supreme Court last week decided that Michigan cannot block the opening of an off-reservation American Indian casino. In a 5-4 decision, the court decided the state's legal challenge was barred by tribal sovereign immunity. Michigan argued unsuccessfully that the casino was unauthorized and that it violated the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. The court ruled that the federal law only applied to Indian casinos operating on Indian land. Missouri is celebrating an anniversary. The state's gambling industry officially started 20 years ago this week. From the first riverboats, gaming has grown to a 13-casino industry that grosses nearly $1.7 billion a year. One of the biggest beneficiaries of the industry have been the Missouri schools, which, in the 20 years, have received about $4.7 billion from the casinos. And finally, you can place a bet on almost anything in Vegas, except one thing, and State Senator Tick Sagerbloom wants to change all that. You see, the senator wants to make it legal to place bets on who will become the next U.S. president. Right now, it's illegal to place bets on the presidency in the U.S., but it is legal in Great Britain. So, what are the current odds in England? Hillary Clinton is the favorite at 6-4, and Marco Rubio and Chris Christie both have 12-1 odds of winning the top seat. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow us on Twitter at HOC Radio. Midwest Poker players now have a poker tour to call their own, the Mid-States Poker Tour. The Mid-States Poker Tour is traveling around the region now. Upcoming stops include the Majestic Star Casino in Gary, Indiana, July 26th to August 3rd, and the Tropicana Evansville, Evansville, Indiana, August 16th to the 24th. The last event at the Majestic Star generated a prize pool of over $300,000, so don't be left out. Check out their website, msptpoker.com, for registration and additional tournament information. The Mid-States Poker Tour. Finally, a poker tour designed for poker players. You're listening to the House of Cards. 
Hit me, you five-card stud. Hi, listeners. You're listening to House of Cards. This is Ashley Adams, and as promised, we have one of the best-known images and names in the poker world joining us now. His name is Phil Lack. He is known or used to be known as the Unabomber. He is a professional poker player who has just uh, been making a movie, Runner, Runner, which we'll talk a little bit about. But without any further ado, here he is. Phil, are you there? I'm here. Hey, how are you doing, Ashley? Good to be on the show. Thanks well, for having me. I'm really glad. We're, we're really proud to have you on, Phil. Uh, for those listeners, the two or three out there who don't know your story, could you just give a thumbnail sketch of how you came to be one of the uh, best-known professional poker players? Well, one of the great things about poker is it's a um, uh, meteor, uh, what's it called, when uh, a rise to the top is from accolade. It's an accolade-driven profession. If you know what you're doing, you'll just rise to the top. You don't need to have a college degree or uh, you don't don't need anything except heart, determination, patience to learn the game, and anyone can be – uh, winner of poker it's an incredible opportunity that's available to anybody it's really but you do have to like be good at games and and be loving the whole thing so yeah that's how it happened i just loved games and i felt found about found out about poker and then i started winning things that happens to anyone who loves games and is clever enough to figure out the ins and outs you know well now slow down one second phil lots of people love poker and very very few rise as far as you have risen what did you do and when did you get a clue that hey you know i might be able to do this for a living uh well i certainly my guidance counselor in uh high school <laughs> didn't, no one told me that games were available i went off and got a degree in engineering and what have you i did some work in finance and and uh engineering and whatever before i actually discovered gambling quite by accident and it was probably good that i didn't discover it till a little bit later in the game if i discovered it as a profession, maybe I would have skipped out on everything, you know, education-wise especially, you know. How did you uh, discover it? What were you doing, I and just, how did you f- stumble into poker? Um, I, I stumbled into poker because uh, I've always just been around games and visited games, clubs, etc. And uh, I remember I was shooting pool once in New York, and it was in a poker room. And I just noticed the poker room nearby, and I'd never played poker. But I'd played other games, you know, backgammon and chess and pool and whatever, and I was just attracted to it kind of casually. And one thing led to another. I played it one, one night, and that was it. I just needed about half an hour to fall in love. It was, it's a really fun game. It's really fun. <laughs> if you ever accidentally end up playing it, you're going to be hooked, you know? Were you at the Mayfair Club, or was it some other place? Yes, that was the, the first place I ever saw poker was at the Mayfair Club, but my first hand of poker played wasn't there. Uh, I actually didn't have the money to play at the Mayfair. That was a big stakes, you know, back way back. I was playing uh, uh, the Diamond Club, a place John. Oh Hanley yeah, in, New York. in the twenties. That, that was in the uh, e- e- the West Twenties down in yes, Manhattan, right? Twenty fifth West Twenty Third or something like that. I forget. That was down in nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, something like that. That was for. And then right after I learned about poker, I went off to um, California, and then. Through a very random domino succession of things, 
I met some interesting people. One person I met was Brian Koppelman. Brian became a buddy of mine, and when he was telling me that he was making not Rounders 2, but a different movie that had poker in it called Runner Runner, I was like, Brian, oh, wow. And uh, one thing led to another, and he, he, we had, I ended up going down and participating in the building of that movie. It was a lot of fun. The experience was great, and it doesn't bother me at all that my scene was left on the editing floor. Uh, <laughs> it, it was going to be a small part anyways. It was just like Antonio and me and some people playing poker uh, at a poker table in the – well, where else would you play poker? But, like, outside at this, like, nighttime party where some covert operations were happening between Justin and Ben Affleck in the espionage thriller that is, you know – I haven't seen the movie yet. It's coming out soon, but – uh, that was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun making that uh, production, and I it, and people, and it was a you know I don't know what's what else can we talk about? Well, let me ask you this: Where do you play your poker these days? Are you just following okay. a tour around, or do you play in a local I play, casino? I, I'm a blend player. I play I would say twenty percent, twenty five percent home games that are just cash games, whatever, and I probably play like. 35% tournaments, and then maybe 35% casino cash games. So I kind of roam around. Right now, if, from this very moment, I'm uh, in Atlantic City. There's a World Poker Tour tournament here that had 1,000 entrants. I'll be going to day two with an average stack. Uh, these 1,000 entrant fields, it's you know, it's a lot of prize money. First place for this thing will be around 900,000 U.S. And all I have to do is stay in the tournament for six days. And <laughs> anyone who does that wins the 900. And, you know, there's places, there's money for places second through uh, 50th as well, or 100th, whatever. So that's do you like, right now. Do you like huge fields, or do you prefer you having a smaller field? Oh, my God. Give me the most ginormous fields, because – I. The bigger the field, the more opportunities you're going to have. If you can get to day four and five, you know, I like to play my dream thing. He said, Phil, what, what's your dream poker thing? What's your said, dream oh, poker thing, Phil? I'll tell you, it would be like a two-mile drive to a home game playing high, high-stakes poker with some Sharpie, some Sharks, and then a couple of Astro Fishes where all I can do is win <laughs> God-unfold stacks of chips and whatever. It would just be, like, crazy. So – how do you get to recreate that? Well, it's hard because, you know, those games aren't every day. And since they're not every day, you have to create them. And how do you create that? You just go to the Borgata and you survive. If you survive four or five days, all of a sudden, you're looking around at 30 people. Four of these guys might not have really any shot at winning. and Or maybe they have some shot, but they're essentially playing really high-stakes poker now. They're playing like 300, 600, no limit. Whereas you can't find them in the casino playing a cash game that big. They're not going to put down, uh, you know... They're not going to put down a quarter million U.S. for a buy-in game that merits the blinds they're playing with. But that happens in tournaments. By the time you get to day five, you can be <laughs> check-raising a guy for the effective amount of uh, 100000 200000 U.S. dollars. This is like what I live for. I love check-raising with air. I love check-raising with the nuts. I love betting, you know. It's, and to bet, you have to be playing cards. And the, to keep betting, you have to play the cards well. Because, you know, the second you derail yourself, you're out. And there's no more betting. You have to... Do something else. Well, it, it sounds the way you've told the story, and we've heard it in bits and pieces here, is that you just kind of fell in love with poker, and you had a lot of natural energy and excitement about it, and you played poker, and you won, and you've been winning ever since, and it's been fun and great and high energy and terrific, and everybody can do it. And what I'm wondering is, do you ever study the game? Do you actually do okay, any, okay. or is it all just natural I will, talent? I will preface 
I'll answer that simply. Yes, I'm a, a, the guy that in the shower will have a Nirvana moment and realize how I could have played a hand a little bit better. Or I'm constantly thinking at the table. I'm not really thinking that much about poker away from the table. It happens from time to time. But when I'm at the table, my main is even if I'm not in a hand, I'm racing through the uh, the betting patterns of the other players to see if they match up with good play, imperfect play, how I can exploit them in a non-weighted game environment that will, you know, appear in the next hand. And I've always been, I love learning. When there's something, nothing going on, you can make something go on in your head by just learning. And by the way, don't get me wrong, I was always the kid, I was always a little bit of a nerd, you know. I was the kid when the Rubik's Cube came out. I was a punk-ass little kid. I found the cube. I knew there were like... I was already enough of a nerd that I knew that there was little, uh, what do you call it, those solution puzzle things when the answer books for the yes, solutions. Yes. But I, was, I didn't want to go and cheat. I wanted to see how deep I could go on my own. And, uh, you know, to prove that I am not uh, the next Sean Nash, I could only get the first two levels. The third level I could not get as an eight-year-old on the Rubik's Cube. I had to go. I eventually went to uh, and broke down. I went to the library, got the little solution book, and went, oh, wow, there's three different solutions. Oh, I see. And, you know, my brain was stretching, but I wasn't good enough to get all three levels. But uh, When you yeah. were eight, you weren't good enough. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, by the way, the funny thing is that whole Rubik's Cube thing, I remember pick, and so I knew by the time I was 10 years old, I could do a Rubik's Cube. I could do it in under a minute. As an adult, I picked up a Rubik's Cube, and I started fumbling with it and realized, oh, my God, I was worse and less nimble as a thinker and was, than I was as a 10-year-old. I, didn't, I think that if, I, if you gave me a Rubik's Cube, I'm pretty sure it would take me about two to three times as long as it took me when I was nine to solve it again. Because I don't remember. I'd have to reteach myself the whole thing. So, uh but I'm okay with that because I would still be doing, I'd still be working towards improvement, you know. So that's the answer, I guess. Okay, that's good. That's a good answer. I got, I got a follow-up question for you. Let's yeah. say you're in a room of twenty-somethings who are all wannabe professional poker players, and they're looking to you as the oracle of poker wisdom to give them advice about how to pursue their career. Do you give them any instruction about how to study? What do you tell them? Yeah, actually, first of all, I want to uh, say that. You are a. I've for the listeners out there. I've only met Ashley now for these first. Uh, I don't know, perhaps twenty minutes or something. You have a good soul. I can feel you have good energy, and you remind me of my uncle Tom, a man that I, I have always loved and will always love. His, his style of communication is similar, and I know exactly what you're reaching for. And so I'm going to give you both that compliment and the answer you're looking for. And the answer is this: Yes, um, there are things I would say. The first one I would say is. You know that billboard that you see in Times Square once in a while or something? You see it somewhere, and it says, be happy with nothing, comma, and then and it doesn't say, and then. It just says, and be happy with everything. But it's implying, and then be happy with everything. Because once you achieve happiness with just nothing, which is, you know, the Buddhist Zen try to arrive. Now, why do I shoot into this little philosophical excerpt with poker? Because poker is something like 85% philosophy. Then it's 15% game theory and uh, non-weighted gaming theory and, and uh, you know, co- co- um, competition in cooperative environments, et cetera. It's like everything stems off. Without having the Buddhist kung fu, David Carradine catch the ass <laughs> from behind kind of mentality, without having this I can walk the rice paper and leave no footprint kind of spiritual uh, paradigm, 
you're almost drawn dead in poker because it will it will vet out all the humanness in you and chop it up on a butcher block and leave just remnants of you because it's a it's a it's very um it's like nature it's like trying to surf nature and sometimes the wave will just just push you down and drown you for five minutes and if you're not tough uh spiritually it will uh engulf you i don't know i like that no i'd like uh just for those who just tuned in and couldn't figure it out for themselves we're talking to phil lack and I like what you just said. Be happy with nothing. Be happy with everything. And I think that is the key in many ways to embracing poker because yeah, way, you've got to be able to accept it. it. Yep. Yeah, and I'll, it reminds me, like, when I remember when I was learning billiards. Now, I had grown up with the pool cue a little bit here and there, but nothing, like, extraordinary. Maybe I was when I was 20, I could get two balls in a row, and I felt, like, powerful, you know, whereas – I was playing pool with sometimes friends that could get five in a row in. And one day I was out with Mikey and he could get five, seven in a row and no problem. And I asked for his advice in a shot between two choices. And he said, Phil, the point of this game is not to make the next shot. The point is to approach it with enthusiasm of trying to puzzle it out and do your best with the moment. The outcome is completely irrelevant. It's the pursuit of that moment and trying to optimize it that all that matters. And you're on your own journey for that. It's like snowboarding the backside of a mountain. And uh, that very much applies in poker. If you're just happy with whatever level you're at, you're, it's very, you know, it's like golf or some other kind of professions that, that you just keep getting better at your whole life. Uh, it's about enjoying the journey kind of, you know. Well, Phil, you've made me and I think our listeners enjoy this journey. I think we could talk for a long time philosophically, but I we have to end. And I just want to thank you for this. And uh, I want to know, where's the next place you're going to go to play poker after the Borgata? Do you have another place much, lined up? Yeah, there's some significant venues. There's uh, the World Series of Poker Europe is happening in Paris uh, in October. And then there's a World Poker Tour event right after that in Paris as well. And so those are the next two. Then I'll, then there's the Aussie Millions, and uh, which is in Australia, obviously. That's a big one. And and possibly, if I can fit it in, in January, there's the PCA, which is a huge event Poker Stars does down, down, the, uh, down the islands. And so they're in all the fun. Some of them are a little travel, but they're all worth it if you finally get there. Well, I am very pleased that you came on our radio show. I would love to see you on a TV show, Phil. You are so animated, so enthusiastic, so philosophical about poker that it's contagious. And I want to thank you for coming on House of Cards. You're very kind. Thank you for having me. And, I, uh, and it was great meeting you, Ashley. Hope to meet you in, day, in person one day. Me too. That's right, Phil sure. Lack, uh, wonderful, wonderful guest. Maybe the best interview we've done here for a long time. Fascinating. You're too kind. You're too kind. Thank you. <laughs> Take care, Phil. All right, see you, buddy. Bye. All right. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration, plus a free extra gift so sensual we can't mention it on the radio. 
And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type BABE16 for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code BABE16 at adamandeve.com. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyons, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. Midwest poker players now have a poker tour to call their own. The Mid-States Poker Tour. The Mid-States Poker Tour is designed to cater directly to poker players. Great locations, deep stack tournaments, affordable buy-ins, and most importantly, large prize pools. This year, with over 20 events in nine states, the Mid-States Poker Tour provides an exciting opportunity for poker in one of the most underrated poker hotbeds in the country. Check out their website, msptpoker.com, for upcoming tournaments near you. The Mid-States Poker Tour. Finally, a poker tour designed for poker players. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. Everybody is to leave here immediately. This cafe is closed until further notice. Clear the room at once. How can he close me up? On what ground? I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Everybody out at once. Welcome back, listeners. This is House of Cards. I'm Ashley Adams, and I'm joined in studio by one of my producers, Dave Weishattel, the more handsome of the Weishattel brothers, I think. Well, I think so, too. Yeah, there you go. Uh, this is Mailbag, so what do we have, Dave? Well, first, uh, I want to say, you know, we always love hearing from our listeners, and, you know, we have a hotline, our website. You can get in touch with us by Twitter and Facebook. The one thing you can't do is is call the station because we're not there at a particular radio station. But you can call us at 609-474-4627. What's that number again? That's 609-474-4627. One more time. 609-474-4627. Okay, that's good. Actually, when Doug came first up with it, it, it actually 609-474-HOCR for House of Cards Radio. But it, you know. I always uh, give the number, so I don't know. Okay, good. 
But uh, the guys who actually fielded the phone calls at the at the um, stations actually passed on what some of the people were asking about. They passed on. Uh, they passed I'm on. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> but uh, um, what were they talking about? Well, the big question was, you know, it's World Series of Poker time. You know, you're going out to Vegas, and I guess everyone wants an edge. Everyone wants to do well in poker tournaments, and and a lot of people are wondering, how do you start preparing? for the World Series of Poker and its events. Well, I, you know, I've written about this. I've talked about this. The truth is it comes up every year. 99, <laughs> 99% of preparing is just getting your poker game better in general so that you're playing at your best in general. Mm -hmm. There are some specific things that I've recommended. First of all, it's very easy when you go to Las Vegas. If You know, you realize some people live there, but I'm talking about all the people who don't to not have enough rest going into these events. These events are long. They're not as grueling as they used to be. They mm -hmm. schedule them in a way that allows you a decent amount of time in between sessions for a three-day event or for the main event many more days. But I always recommend don't, you know, just party and take advantage of the factory <laughs> in Las Vegas because you're going to be whipped. Mm -hmm. You need the stamina, uh, which is one of the reasons I think why so many of the people that finish at the final table are so young is because they have stamina, and a lot of us old guys don't. So I suggest getting good rest. Um, this is going to sound corny, but diet, high salt, high alcohol, high fat foods, which is what you tend to have when yeah. you go out there, you drink, you have a lot of fast food, doesn't help you improve your stamina and your strength. And so I can re recommend a good, decent diet. Um, hydration, very important in Las Vegas. Those of us from the rest of the world aren't used to the incredibly dry, hot climate. And though, even though we think, well, I'm not passing out, the dehydration takes it effect, its effect. It wears on you. It hurts your ability to concentrate. It makes you sick, et cetera. So pump the fluids. Eat decent food. I'm sounding like my grandmother. Know, right? uh, make sure you have aspirin. And then, well, are you are you allowed to bring food yeah, or snacks? I always and, do. And like I always Gatorade bring to the table. Yeah, or something I always like that? bring a. I usually have a shoulder bag of some kind. Okay. And I carry in it. I mean, this again, this is going to sound silly, but I carry easy to eat snacks, mm -hmm. so I don't have to worry about getting a meal during the play. Sometimes I get one anyway, but I always have unsalted peanuts. I have bananas. I usually have an apple. Other fruit, dried fruit. Uh, sometimes I'll have a couple of energy bars. Um, and I avoid salty things like uh, snacks, like uh, potato chips, popcorn, all yeah. that stuff. Um, but healthy snacks I find very useful. I also bring... Does it have to be healthy? Because uh, I even heard of marathoners bringing around jelly beans, eating them with pumps of sugar up. And that, that's what I hear. So I don't know. Is there I some weird kind I, of I food that you that have? You can do that. I don't do that. I bring... Uh, you know, some kind of energy bars, cheap yeah. ones, though, because I'm cheap. Like, so Quaker Oatmeal makes some kind of energy bars, that I'll, like granola bars. Mm -hmm. uh, raisins, peanuts unsalted, uh, sometimes dried bananas, but some fresh fruit. And then I'll also bring a bottle of analgesics like aspirin or Tylenol and mm -hmm. Advil uh, and a lot of bottled water. Now, they give out bottled water, but I don't want to have to wait. I don't want to have to tip, you know, by drinking... <laughs> 20 bottles of water over the course of a tournament, that's 20 bucks. Yeah. So I'll bring my own for, you know, 
29 cents a bottle. That's a lot of bathroom breaks, too. I don't know if you can get up. At That's it. true. <laughs> you can always get up and go to the bathroom. They'll blind you off. Okay. Um, and there are breaks uh, that people generally rush to the bathroom. But that's what I do. And, and as far as mental preparation, you know, some people say, you know, do a crossword puzzle in the morning, get your mental gymnastics going, uh, do boggle, do uh, sudo- Sudoku. Um, I don't know. You get good rest. You get good diet. I Oh, I exercise. I always make sure to walk, you know, a few miles in the morning, early morning before it's hot so that my body is at least not completely inert because you're just sitting at the table. I mean, I stand up. I do a little bit of calisthenics, but you're not exercising during the tournament. Yeah. So get your exercise in in the morning so that you can keep your body and your mind in good shape during the long and somewhat grueling tournament. Do you, do you review any reference materials? Like you go to certain books that you've read? Um, or you, know, you mean like that scene in The Cincinnati Kid yeah. where Carl Malden is going down a list of the poker odds? Yeah. No, I don't well, do hey, that. Guys do that. Now that, Now they look at on their laptop. You know, they have the odds charts with all the... Uh, I don't do that. <laughs> you don't do that or anything like I mean, that? I suppose somebody might, but uh, to me it's kind of like taking the SAT. If you don't know it by now... It's uh, yeah. too late to cram that kind of stuff. By the way, that was the perfect time for you to plug your book. I was thinking you went in there. I was like, oh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> winning Seven Card Study, Winning No Limit Hold'em, available for you now at Amazon. By the way, my book has cracked the uh, 100,000 mark for bestsellers, my wow. No Limit Hold'em book. <clears throat> I don't know what that means as far as sales, <laughs> but better to be under 100,000 than over. Also, th- my blog mm-hmm. has cracked the million. Uh, Mark, below a million for top-rated Internet sites out of, I don't know, 26 million sites. Mm -hmm. We are now, uh, the blog at least is 980,000 in the world. I I was telling you, June's a weird month for, uh, ask Doug about the, uh, Doug, our executive producer. Your brother. Oh, yeah, our brother. He's right behind the glass that no one else can see. But uh, our downloads are huge. For, uh, you know, we these shows are now put into podcast form, and you can download them anytime you want or subscribe to it. And just the downloads have been crazy, man. Like, so what is what is a huge number of downloads? I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I'm terrible with computers. So I asked Doug. He's the engineering degree. Doug, how many Doug, downloads? How? A dozen? Four dozen? For June. With... Really? Yep. Do they have to pay to do that? No, no. Oh, uh, we got to figure a way to monetize we, that. Can we? Can we, uh Jab the public. <laughs> well, we don't need money here. We make yeah. so we're rolling in. We the do money. it for the love of radio. So, what else are we getting? Uh, uh, I have been asked by a couple of people, and uh, and actually for me as well. I have a terrible back. I mean, my lower back. And what can you do if when you're sitting a long time at a table? Don't we have an advertiser that it, that fixes Actually, that? You no, know, I didn't. Yes, Spine Doc. Or Spine Doc. Like. Hey Doug, give me the number real quick. I can do it now. Spine Doc. Oh, he doesn't know you have the no number. No clue. Do they still advertise? Yeah, yeah, no. Well, I, you have to call. You have to call up a certain number and you have to talk to him for fifteen minutes or something. Who talks to him for fifteen minutes? I probably shouldn't say that, but well, but you, uh, I remember. I just I've been listening to old time radio, the Jack Benny show. They always used to yeah. kid around with their sponsors. Yeah, yeah. Um, we need uh, Chesterfields on. Now, as far as what I do while I'm playing, I just stand up, walk around, stretch really? my back, stretch my legs, um, you know, do those exercises that people do to stretch out their quads. Um, I do that squirm thing, but I always like, you know, because you know, it's a lower back and I always put pressure on it. And it was just, you know, when I'm playing there, I don't want to, it looks like a tell that I'm doing this, that I'm like, 
I'm silently dancing because I have great cards. But, you know, it's... Uh, you can do little uh, leg lifts under the table. Yeah. Um, that strengthens your lower back where you lift up, even though it's just the, your knees are bent. Mm-hmm. You're lifting them up one at a time. Oh, that's try good. to strengthen your back. Um, I don't know. Other than that, I can't really help you. Really? Although no. my wife is an Alexander teacher. Okay. And she could work with you sitting to show really? you what you're probably doing that's injuring yourself over time. I, I saw one guy. He had this special chair that he kneels down on. Yes. It's, 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 a balance chair. It's <laughs> yeah, called. something like that. My, I should my wife has that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Good. So, well, that'll do it, I think, for this uh, wonderful mailbag. And uh, next time, I'm going to try to have my mom on. Yeah, we should. So we want to yeah. talk about our trip to Las Vegas without any gambling. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to ask her where you got that uh, thing about going to secondhand shops to oh. get your clothes. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. All right, listeners, that will do it for the mailbag segment. But uh, come back next week. We'll be back. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.